This morning we want to conclude our study concerning being an example to the believers and we want to look at the last two aspects of our example that Paul talks about and that is to be an example in faith and in purity and if you will indulge me please I want to go back again to our very beginning to, 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 to keep the, the focus on what we mean by being an example. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And we've talked about how that an example means that we're seeking to make an impression in the lives of people. That we're trying to produce an effect in the lives of people. That we're trying to be an influence. And that's something that we need to purposefully think about. That's something that we should, we should plan. I know that uh, you know, when Jesus was on the earth and He taught in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, don't do, these, don't do your things, your prayers, your alms, your fasting to be seen of men. And so sometimes we think, well, we don't want to be seen with what we do. But whenever you look at the context of what Jesus was talking about, He was talking about not to be seen of men to receive praise and glory. But we need to be seen in our service to the Lord. Not to receive praise and glory for ourselves, but we need to be seen in order to show an example, in order to manifest the light that comes from Jesus Christ uh, shining through us. And so whenever we do live, I want to live so that I affect you in some way. I want to live in a way that I'm going to influence you, that I'm going to make an impression upon you and purposefully do that. Live with the awareness and live with the understanding that people need examples, that people need to see good things in the lives of people. And I want to be that example to you and you need to be that example to me, that example to each other. As we've talked about in our, our, our focus is that our example is to be to each other. You know, whenever we look for things that are right and for good and for, that are holy, we're not going to see them out in the world. The only place that we're going to see them is right here. And so we have to demonstrate that to each other through the power of our example in making an impression, producing an effect, and being an influence. So this morning we want to look at the last two aspects where Timothy is told by the Apostle Paul to be an example to the believers in faith. Now, whenever we look at faith in the Bible, its, it's meaning and our understanding of it and how we use the word is determined in a lot of instances by the context that we find it in. And in looking at this verse, I've kind of scratched my head. What is it about faith that Paul wants Timothy to demonstrate? What is the example that Paul wants Timothy uh, to, to show to people? And again, whenever we look at Timothy's example, part of his example is to get credibility for himself so that they won't despise his youth, but that he will be somebody that people will take seriously so that whenever he teaches them and charges them and commands them, they're going to say, we need to listen to him, we need to take him seriously. Whenever we look at the definition of the word faith... <coughs> It's defined as reliance upon Christ for salvation, assurance, belief, faith, fidelity. And whenever we look at the word fidelity, the word fidelity in some instances and as it's used in the scriptures means faithfulness to duty. Now whenever I think of a faith of a person, I think of their faith and how that they're seeking God and they're seeking God's mercy out of an intense need and trust in God's power. But also in the scriptures, we find the word faithfulness used of someone who is faithful to their duty. For instance, we're told over and over in the scriptures, Paul says and reminds us often that God is faithful. What does that mean, that God is faithful? 
That means that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. That what God has said to you, what God has promised to you, you can trust God to do it and to fulfill it. And so I think whenever Paul is talking to Timothy about his example, when he mentions faith, he's talking about fidelity. He's talking about, Timothy, you be faithful to your duty. Be faithful to your duties to the Lord. Be faithful to your duties that are enjoined upon you by the Lord to those that are around you. That the people will see your faithful execution of your duties and be impressed by your example and understand that you're someone who is credible and someone that needs to be listened to. You know, whenever we go throughout the scriptures, there are several individuals and there are several congregations that are noted for their faithfulness. We talked about Gaius the other day, where John says, Beloved, you Gaius do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. And so we talked about the other day about Gaius' love that was influential and impactful. Part of that love and something that we mentioned was the faithfulness of Gaius to do for the brethren. That Gaius was someone that they could count on. That if you were a brother or you were a stranger that was passing through, you knew that, hey, in this area, in this vicinity is a man by the name of Gaius. I can count on him. He's going to be faithful to his duties and his responsibilities that are given to him by the Lord in service to brethren and to strangers. And so Gaius was someone that people could count on. And because of his faithfulness, again, they bore witness of his love. That his faithfulness was a product of his love. Silvanus in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And so Silvanus is referred to as a faithful brother. Well, what does it mean to be faithful? You know, sometimes we think, well, if somebody's a faithful brother, they, they, uh, they go to the right church and they believe the right doctrines and they practice the right worship. And that is an aspect of faithful. But whenever Peter and Paul mentions these men specifically and he speaks that they are faithful, I don't think that it just simply means that they believe the right doctrines and they practice the right forms of worship, which they did. But I think the meaning of faithfulness goes so much deeper than that to say that these are men that you can count on. In other words, I'm sending them to you and whenever they get there, you can have confidence in these men that are going to faithfully execute the duties that are enjoined on them by the Lord towards you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17. Even Timothy is referred to as being faithful. So evidently the apostle Paul saw this example in Timothy. Because whenever he was writing to the Corinthians, he says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And so Timothy was setting that example, and Paul noted that example, that whenever Timothy comes among you, you need to understand that he is beloved and he is faithful, that he's going to be with you and he's going to carry out the responsibilities and the duties 
that he has faithfully. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21, Tychicus, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a faithful brother and fruitful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. So all of these people that Paul is sending out or that Peter is commissioning, they make the point they're faithful. These are men you can trust. These are men that are going to be faithful to their duties. And that's the type of example that we need to live among each other is that the duties that are enjoined upon us, that we're faithful and we can count on them being carried out. I want to set an example as a husband. And so if I want to set an example of a, as a husband, a faithful husband, then that means that I need to be faithful to the responsibilities and duties to my wife. And whenever I see other men and whenever I see older men that are being faithful to their duties and their responsibilities to their wife, that makes an impression upon me and causes me to want to think, okay, when I'm there, I want to be just like that. Faithful to our children. Providing for them the things that are, and carrying out the duties towards them so that they have what they have or what they need to have as being a faithful servant to the Lord in ministering to my children. Our brothers and sisters that are here in the church, as we talked about last evening, congregational commitment, being dedicated and loyal <coughs> and uh, committed to each other, that I'm going to be faithful in, my, in carrying out my responsibilities and my duties to you. That being around people like that, it makes an impression upon us to carry out and to do the same. And Epaphras in Colossians 1 and verse 7, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So all of these people that Paul was sending out to serve, all of these people that Peter sent out to serve, they made the point, these are faithful people. Now again, did they believe the right doctrines? Absolutely. Did they perform the right acts of worship? Absolutely. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't be sent out to begin with. And so I think that part of it was understood. And I think the part that Peter and Paul wanted them to know is that whenever these people get there, you can count on them. They're going to be faithful. They're going to be faithful to do their job and carry out their duties. As an illustration of this type of faithfulness, I want to go to Matthew 25 and verses 14 to 30 and look at the parable of the talents as the parable of the talents is an explanation of the type of faithfulness that we're talking about. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts. And so when he had received, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside me. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joys of the Lord. So this Lord gave to this servant responsibility. Gave to this servant duty. And whenever that Lord went away, 
that servant was faithful to that responsibility and to that duty. In taking what was entrusted to him and then using it as the Lord wanted it to be used. And that's an illustration of faithfulness to us. We've all been blessed and we've all been graced by the Lord in some capacity to serve and fulfill duty. We want to be faithful to the Lord and be faithful to each other in knowing that since I have been entrusted with this, Lord, congregation, you can trust me to use it and to use it right. He who also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So there again, a servant was entrusted with responsibility. What he received wasn't as great as what the former had received, but nonetheless, he was aware of what he had. He was aware of his duty and responsibility and faithfully executed the same. So that whenever the Lord returned and that man stepped up, the, man, the, the Lord praised him for his faithfulness. Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. And so here's a servant that we had his responsibility. He had something entrusted to him, but rather than being faithful, he was unfaithful in that he didn't fulfill his duty. Rather than taking the one and going and utilizing it to get one more, he takes it and hides it in the earth because of his perception of the Lord. And notice how that the Lord refers to him. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Now in the two previous ones, they were lauded as being faithful, and here he is criticized for being wicked and lazy. The opposite of being faithful is being wicked and lazy. And we might look at that and think, well, wow, wicked, that's kind of a harsh word. No, it's not. When we shirk the responsibilities and the duties that the Lord has, has entrusted us with, that's wickedness. Wickedness isn't just going out and doing a bunch of bad sins. But wickedness is just not fulfilling your responsibility to the Lord, doing what the Lord has entrusted you to do. And he says that he is wicked and lazy. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this servant is characterized three ways. Number one, he's wicked. Number two, he's lazy. And number three, he's unprofitable. There's no gain being made. 
And so whenever we look at our faithfulness to our duties and responsibilities, we want to carry out that duty and that responsibility where there is profit. Where there is profit to the God that we serve and where there is profit to the people that we serve. My wife needs to profit from my faithfulness. My children need to profit from my faithfulness. My congregation needs to profit from my faithfulness. And when everybody around you is profiting from your faithfulness, what do you become? You become an example, don't you? You become that person that people look to whose faithfulness is exemplary, whose faithfulness makes an impression, whose faithfulness produces an effect and is influential. And so faithful as opposed to wicked, lazy, and unprofitable. So to be an example to the believers, we want to be that type of example that whenever people are around us, when they walk away, they say, I want to be faithful like that. You know people like that? I know people like that. Been around people like that this week. Seeing the faithfulness to the duties and responsibilities and just thinking, well, I can't wait to get back home now. You know, I'm ready to go do that now. It makes an impression. And then lastly, an example to the believers in purity. To be the type of person that impresses upon other people, that influences other people to be pure in living. The word purity comes from this word which literally means to be clean. Chastity or purity. And I think what Paul is talking about here is moral cleanliness. Moral cleanliness. Whenever you look at this Greek word, it's used a lot of times in reference to sexual purity, about young women being chaste. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to live a morally clean life. And you need to live a morally clean life that's impressive and influential. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 to 2, and in verse 22, Paul tells Timothy, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, and younger as sisters with all purity. So Timothy, you're a young man. And whenever you're interacting with these younger sisters, you need to do it with moral cleanness. That you behave yourself in a way that's right. You behave yourself in a way that is proper. And you demonstrate a conduct that is above reproach and a conduct that is unblameable. He goes on to say in verse number 22, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Timothy, don't be involved in other people's sins. But you need to keep yourself pure. You need to be morally clean. So that no one can make a charge against you that you're acting in compromising ways towards the young sisters are acting in compromising ways by engaging yourself in the sins of other people. And more and more today, we need that example among us because as the world becomes uh, morally bankrupt, 
as the world exercises greater license towards sin, we need to have a community of people that demonstrate to us what it looks like to be morally pure. Morally pure in every aspect of our life. In the things that we say, the things that we do, the places we go, the movies we watch, the things we read, the things that we look at on the internet, whatever it may, we want to be sure that we are morally above reproach. To set that example for one another. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 2, Paul talks about the chaste conduct of wives. He says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And so here again, it's talking about a wife making an impression, talking about a wife that is being influential by the husband seeing a certain moral standard exercised in her life. And Paul says here that they observe, or rather Peter says, they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Moral cleanness represents and is a manifestation of a fear and reverence for God. That's why whenever we look at the world and our culture around us, the moral decay and the moral decline is just relative to the decline in spirituality and the removal of God from everything and the secularization of everything. That we can just do right and wrong because we're just innately good, but that doesn't happen that way. That unless man has moral accountability, then we're not going to be moral. You look in Romans chapter 1 and you look at the sins of the Gentiles, how that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge and how that they didn't worship God as God, neither were thankful, but they became corrupt in their minds. And what was associated with that removal and that lack of retention of God in their knowledge, it was moral decay. All the way to the point that men and women were giving up the natural use of their bodies and doing that which was not right or not natural. And so as God is taking out, morality declines. But whenever morality is exalted, whenever morality is exercised, you're going to find it accompanied with a fear of God. So Timothy, you be morally clean. You manifest a fear and a reverence for God in your behavior and your conduct among the believers that no one can charge you in any way with any type of moral compromise. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We should never lose our fear of God. I know it's, you know, we, we think of, well, we shouldn't be afraid of God. <clears throat> you know, God needs to be our buddy. God needs to be our friend. God needs to be your God. A fearful God. An awesome God. A God that can breathe fire and judgment on the immoral and the rankest of sinners. 
That's not something that's inconsistent with His loving and caring and compassionate nature, but rather it's something that magnifies His loving and caring and compassionate nature. I'm not going to appreciate His loving and caring and compassionate nature till I fully understand and appreciate the judgment that He could render if I don't do what's right. You know, so this idea that we need to just be buddy-buddy with God It's a bunch of hogwash. You've got to fear him. Oh, well, you're just trying to scare people to be right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That same God that can take you up in your hands, his hands and care for you and nurture you and love you and caress you. It's the same God that can take you up into his hands and judge you and condemn you for your sins. And when I know that he could use those hands for that, but he chooses to use his hands for this, that makes me appreciate him so much more. Because I deserve that, but I get this. So whenever it comes to living morally, whenever it comes to perfecting holiness... Understand the power of God. Timothy, live in such a way that your moral cleanliness manifests a reverence and a respect for God that's going to be influential among the lives of the people that you're living around. And finally, beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him and we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. I want to be pure because I fear God, but I also want to be pure because I know that God is pure. Just like we read the other evening where Peter said, Be holy because He is holy. I want to be pure because God is pure. And have the hope that our Lord is coming again and that we're going to be like Him. So all of these things in life, you know, a lot of times the the immoral things that people do, they do it because, you know, it's just, you know, I want to have fun. I don't want to miss out on anything. And, you know, I just want to do everything that life has to offer for me. But the Christian has a greater hope, has a greater hope. And in reference to that greater hope, there's not a thing in this world that this life can offer me that's risk, that that, that would put me at risk to not having that hope realized. We're not going to miss anything in this world. So if I have to say no to something that looks fun that everybody else is doing and I really... I'm not going to miss that when I'm made like Jesus, and neither are you. As Paul, or rather, as Peter said, abstain from fleshly lust. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, keep yourself pure. Live with a moral cleanness that's impressive and influential. And do that in the fear of the Lord. So Timothy, live in such a way that people say, I want to be pure like that. Do you have those examples in your life? Do you have those examples of moral purity? Do you have people in your life that you look at and say, I want to be like that? I have those. I've had those. And hopefully I can be one. And hopefully you can be one. And especially to these young kids. 
Because again, the darker that this world gets, the brighter our light has to shine before them. And if they see moral compromise within us, what hope do they have? What hope do they have? So as we conclude, Paul tells Timothy, don't let people despise you. But be an example to the believers. Make an impression. Be the type of person that whenever people walk away from you, they're going to say, you know, I want to talk like him. Be the type of person where people will say, you know, I want to act like him. Where the, type, where the people will say, I want to love like her. Or I want a spirit like her. Or I want to be faithful like him. I want to be pure like her. Live intentionally and live purposefully that way so that we can influence one another and bring strength in, in, in our relationships with each other and strength in our relationships with the Lord. And be that light that's set on the hill. Again, the darker the times get, the brighter our light shines. It's just like in here. If I had a little low, if I took out my cell phone and turned the light on, wouldn't make much difference in here, would it, with all the lights that are on? But if you were to turn out all of these lights and cover up all of those windows and get it in pitch dark and I turned my cell phone on, everybody would be attracted to that light. And that's the way it is in the world. The darker the world gets, the stronger our influence can be. Let's just don't let, just don't forget to shine our light and be the example to each other and in turn be the light to the world.